You are listening to Shareworthy, the influencer and content marketing podcast brought to you by Isaiah, the industry's leader in developing technology that helps marketers and creators connect. Hey everybody, Katie here. Welcome to Shareworthy, Isaiah's influencer and content marketing podcast. Show notes can be found at izea.com and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow Isaiah on Twitter at I-Z-E-A, and Facebook at facebook.com slash Inc. All links are in the show notes. Welcome to episode three of Shareworthy, our signature snackable and shareable content and influencer marketing podcast. Today we talk with digital strategist and internet marketing guru, Shane Barker. We called in to Shane to pick his brain about what he thinks are the biggest trends to watch in the marketing technology industry. We asked Shane about the power of social media to impact large companies like United Airlines. What did United Airlines do wrong? What did they do right? How can other brands learn from their mistakes? We also asked Shane about Pepsi. What was that commercial featuring Kendall Jenner? What did they get wrong and what did they get right? Was the social media backlash appropriate? And what can other brands learn from their mistakes? And finally, we asked Shane about micro-influencers and AI, two big buzzwords in the marketing technology industry today. Are they a fad or are they the future? Should brands put all their marketing dollars toward these new tactics, or are they just part of the original marketing mix? How worried should celebrity influencers be? Hey, Shane, how are you doing? Hey, what's going on, guys? Doing awesome. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, So for those who don't know, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? You're a pretty influential person on social media. Uh, I guess maybe I have my moments. I, you know, I, I've been doing this whole social thing for probably about maybe 15 years. You know, started off in social media and obviously helping clients and stuff get out there and you know get their profiles set up with you know, whether it be Twitter, Instagram, now Snapchat, and all the other fun profiles. And that's kind of morphed into um, SEO. And I do a lot of writing. I write for Inc. I write for Huffington Post. I've um, got another or a few other uh, authoritative websites that I've been writing for. I've done probably. 50 different websites probably in the last year and a half, so about 150 blog posts. So I do heavy amount of writing. I, I do a lot of the stuff that I that I put out there is because of the clients that I work with. And so we have good original content that we like to put out and kind of show people what we got going on and see, you know, how to be successful when it comes to, you know, influencer marketing and social media and that kind of stuff. Cool. Cool. One of the hot topics that's out there is um, how does a company who uh, doesn't currently work with you say get on um, uh, one of the websites or one of the blogs you write for, say Forbes, say Inc. or Entrepreneur? How does someone, say in my standpoint, get mentioned in a piece like that? Yeah, that's always uh, that's always a hard one because you know obviously those sites you know it's uh, for us what we do is we do a thing called brand mentions. And so what we'll do is we're always looking for good software companies that have great software um, that we can test and once again put in our blog posts and that our clients can try. So, you know, one of the ways you can do it is either either by just outreach. So you can either reach out to, you know, either those writers and say, hey, I have a software, I have a service or I have a great story for you. Um, And a lot of times I'll evaluate those stories and see if it makes a good fit for my audience and also for the platform. 
Um, you know, it's once again, I, I get pitched a lot on a lot of different things. And, you know, every once in a while we have some awesome software or something like that, that once again would, would be a good fit for the audience, which I think is really important. Gotcha. Gotcha. So along those same lines, what's one of the hot things on uh, the blogosphere? What, what, what are people talking about? What's all the rage? Well, I would have to say, you know, good old influencer marketing. I think that's uh, what you guys are very familiar with, obviously. Uh, influencer marketing has, has been hot and heavy for the last few years. I, I jumped into it about four years ago. Um, had been dibbled and dabbled in it, I think, even before it was called influencer marketing. But, um, you know, the, the hot thing about it is that you're able to, to kind of drill down and you have, you know, so many different influencers out, out there. And it used to, used to be just be celebrities and, you know, people that had blogs that had a lot of followers or Oprah or, you know, whatever it is, whatever you considered an influencer. Um, but now because of the Internet and social media, you know, if you put enough time into something, you put out great content, you can develop a following and then you too can be an influencer where, you know, obviously you can charge money for sponsorships and there's a lot of other things that tie into that. But from a brand perspective, I think it's extremely important um, because once again, now you can drill down to a certain type of demographics, whether it be certain niches or certain areas or something like that. So I think that's the, that's the hot topic. And then always with brands, it's the question is, is like, how do I, how do I find that perfect influencer, right? And it's because, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be spending $100 or you could spend up to, you know, I guess Beyonce only gets a million dollars a post, which, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, it's Beyonce for God's sake. So that, that's what we do. We have to give up millions in those, in those situations. But, um, you know, I mean, I think that's the hardest part for brands is to kind of find out, like, who do I need to work with and, and what is that budget and how do I go about that? Because there's a, a lot of caveats to working with influencers when it comes to the time of post and how long the posts are up and there's a lot of different variables that you have to take a look at to make sure it's going to be a successful campaign. Absolutely. Uh, along those same lines, Pepsi recently did a commercial. What caused that amount of backlash um, to it and what were what were some things they did right? Yeah, I think, you know, the thing is, is, you know, when it comes to those commercials, I mean, I when I watched a commercial, overall, I didn't think it was a bad commercial um, in regards to what they were trying to get across was the idea was is like, hey, there's differences, there's there's things going on in the world, and hey, guess what? If you have a Pepsi, it brings the world together. So I get the overall message of it, right? I think overall it wasn't wasn't a bad message, but what you have to really take in consideration is is the timing of the message and how um, all groups are going to take the message um, because not everybody's going to think like that was the intent of it. They're going to look at other things, right? I know people were saying, hey, the police officers barely had any armor on or barely had anything on. They look very friendly. It's a lot different situation when you have a, a heated debate or there's some type of a, a protester or a riot or whatever may be going on. So I, I think you have, to, you have to be real cautious of that because that could have either been a great hit great, you know, Pepsi brings the world together. Or once again, you have social media that can be, once again, it can either be your best friend or it can be, you know, your worst enemy. So then you have that backlash. Um, and that's what they got. They got early on backlash. And, and I don't think they expected that. Um, and then there's the other side of it. You know, when it comes to PR, they, they say there is no bad PR. And, and I'm not saying that Pepsi did that intentionally, but there's also the other side of it where you have you know, I mean, how many times has that video been viewed? I mean, I, I initially didn't look at the video. I heard some stuff, you know, through social media about it. Um, and now I look at it and there's, you know, millions and millions and millions of views because people want to see, hey, what is that video, right? So because they don't get to see it, they actually pulled their their budget and they pulled the, the, the videos that were supposed to be playing on all the, the channels. And I don't know exactly. They probably spent millions and millions of dollars to do that, to take that down. So once again, I will have to figure out what that was cost effective or not. But you know, I think the big thing is, is that, you know, it's, it's just you have to really, really be cautious of 
what you're putting out there and how you, know, you look at it from all angles and, and see how people are going to take that message. Is there any way to do something like that right? Is there any way Pepsi could have uh, changed it a little bit to really hit it home or should they have just abandoned the whole concept? I don't think there's a right way to do it. I think it's really difficult because there's, you know, you, you have a subject that is obviously very, very emotional um, driven. So the, the problem is, is that you can try to do something with good intent, but if, if once again, if social media takes it on and says it's a bad thing, then even though if 80% of the people could think it's a good thing, 20% are the one that who everybody's going to hear because they've got the social media accounts and they're the ones who start, you know, start this wave of, of, of bad sediment. So I, I would, if it was me, I would have, I would advise him to stay away from a campaign like that, um, just because of the, you know, how emotional it is and, and how, and you know, once again, there's still unrest when it comes to, you know, diversity and some other things that are happening in our country. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a very, very, it's a delicate balance of trying to, you know, get your message out there, but not also seem um, insensitive to the things that are going on in the U.S. Moving along to other things that are happening in the U.S., um, United Airlines, I don't think we need to say anything more about why they're in the headlines, um, but we're again seeing the power of social media really impact uh, large companies basically in stock prices and in public sentiment. Um, what should a company do if they find themselves in a situation like United Airlines, where there's a big public affairs incident? How do how do you recover from that? Yeah, that's a hard one. I you know one of the issues is is that they have their you know they have their certain guidelines and, and things that they put in place, um, and and just because it's a company policy doesn't mean that that it's a great company. That's a good a good policy, right? So. I think the issue with United is um, I, I understand their business model is, you know, what they do is they go and they overbook all their flights because there's people that don't show up. There's people that cancel. And that's how they, they make their money. Right. There's the idea of, you know, hey, what we've got going is, um, you know, we need to have X amount of people that aren't going to show up, that aren't going to be able to make those flights. And, you know, so they overbook. Um, the issue with overbooking is, is cause I've been in this situation where I've gotten to a flight where I'm, you know, half an hour before and I'm running because I was speaking at an event or something was going on and they tell me, Hey, somebody's already taken your seat. And I, I myself have had a little bit of an issue with that cause I'm like, well, but if I paid for it, I mean, you're not going to give me a refund and that really should be my seat till it goes to its next flight. But that's a, that's a whole nother conversation. But the, the issue is this, is that if they're asking, and I know what they do, you know, they ask people, hey, does anybody want to take a $200 voucher and then a $300 voucher and then a $400 voucher? So what they're doing is trying to get somebody that is willing to, um, you know, is willing to, well, I'm just gonna, to miss their flight and, and give the, the, the seat to somebody else. Um, and then I guess in this situation, from what I've read, is that nobody was willing to take that, whatever that is, that $500 voucher, whatever they offered out. So then, then I guess they randomly pick seats. Well, um, I mean, I, if I was united, that's just such a difficult position to be in. So you're pretty much pulling somebody off of a flight. I mean, here, this guy was a doctor, um, assuming that he has a, an active practice and that he has, you know, clients to see the next day. Um, you know, not that you, you know, that's the hard part. So what do you do? Do you not take the doctor off, but then you take off the, the guy that doesn't have a job? Like, I, I don't know. It's like, how do you pick somebody? So it's a random pick. I totally get that. But I think it, you know, you know, the issue is, is that you have a, the, you know, I think it was, a, it was a TSA, I believe, that came and, and obviously forcefully took him off the flight. Um, you know, I, I don't think force is ever the way to go. Um, I know it's a difficult situation because this guy had a stance and said, hey, I'm not going to, I'm not going to leave this flight. Um, 
I, I could understand why he wouldn't want to leave. I would think the same thing. I wouldn't want to leave the flight either. If I paid for my ticket, then why am I, you know, um, if I, my credit card bounced and I would get it, maybe I'm not supposed to take this flight. You take me off. Um, it, it's, it's just a hard deal. I think, you know, United, um, I think they, they jumped out and kind of said, Hey, this guy was disruptive and there was problems and they, which is which is great if that's the situation. The problem is, is there's been, I don't know how many videos that have leaked since then or that people have sent to the media showing the guy was not aggressive at all um, and that there was, you know, that wasn't his deal. His deal was like, hey, listen, I paid for this seat and I should be able to sit here. And he wasn't over the top. He wasn't yelling. He wasn't disgruntled. He wasn't. And a lot of these things that United said, hey, this was the reason why we handled this, because, you know, you look at a guy being dragged down the middle of him of an, an aisle that's bleeding out of his nose. And, you know, I guess he has two teeth that got messed up and is a broken nose. And, you know, it's a little traumatic situation, even for everybody, um, you know, yelling on the, on the plane and stuff. So, you know, I, I have to think that there's a better way to do things um, than to do that. And, you know, if you're United, you have to remember that, you know, with video and, and everything's accessible these days. So you really have to, before you, you go hard and heavy on, on your stance of, hey, this was the right way to handle it, you got to be careful with that. You got to really say, "Listen, we're going to evaluate the situation. Don't you know? Don't jump to conclusions. Don't say anything that you don't know is is to be one hundred percent true. You know, tell people, hey, listen, we're going to. It's going to take twenty four hours, forty eight hours. You know, give people a timeline. Review the situation. Make sure you have all the information in front of you, all the stats and the facts. And then I w would go in and, and make an evaluation of the situation. But you know, you have to make it has to be an aggressive decision. Like whether you, you know if you're going to take responsibility or not right away. You don't have, I mean, I say 48 hours, it's probably too long when it comes to social media because, you know, within within five minutes, social media is already off and running and they've already got opinions of everything. So, you know, I think you need to make a decision. I said 48, but I'll, let me let me taper that back to 48 minutes. How about that? It mm -hmm. needs to be, you know, it needs to be quick and, and to the point and they need to get in there and see what the deal is because once again, social media can be your best friend or it could be your worst enemy. And that's, in this situation, they've got you know, I, I think their stocks, it's affected a lot of things for them. And, and I think they need to look at their policies and, and, and really reevaluate that um, for the future. The whole world can change in 48 minutes on social media. It's incredible, man. It really is. I mean, you just see these tidal waves of, of things that go on. You know, back in the day, like I said, I, I said 48 hours. And I guess I was thinking old school PR of where you had a little bit of time, you know, and either it was going to be a news story in six hours. So you and your, your PR team get together or something like that. But now with social media, I mean, all it takes is somebody influential to, to send out a tweet or a message on Facebook. And then who knows who's going to see it and who's going to pick it up. And then next thing you know, you know, it, it's it's a huge story. Whether it's correct or incorrect or whatever, that's one of the downsides of it is that, you know, there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, that's why it's important that you, you know, if I was united, that you go and you take the bull by the horns and, you know, you say, listen, this is a situation. We, are, we feel terrible about this situation. We're going to absolutely look into it. And we're going to figure this thing out as soon as possible. We will reach out to the doctor and make sure that he's okay, whatever that is. Once again, to make people feel like, hey, we are a socially responsible company, um, and we want to make sure that you know that these things, these kind of issues, if this if there was some problem on our side, that we take care of it for the future. I think we've covered enough bad things that happen on the internet uh, for one podcast. Uh, uh, another thing that happened very recently was. Um, the live streaming of April the giraffe being pregnant and then giving birth. Uh, that was all over my social media. Um, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on how um, 
brands and companies can learn from that success of, of all the attention that Zoo got from live streaming, something that's usually behind closed doors or something that you don't see every day. Um, how can that be applied to businesses that aren't necessarily in the visual um, part of the industry? Yeah, and you know, and I have to tell you, it's funny. It, it was all over your Facebook. I don't even think I've seen the video, but I, I could imagine a giraffe being born uh, would be a pretty impactful thing for people to see. You know, I think once again, I think for the zoo, I think that could be that, that's awesome because once again, it's showing birth. It's showing you know the, this thing that happened. That's just a natural occurrence. Um, as long as there wasn't any you know traumatic events that happen, I think it's good. You know, maybe people show their their kids, and this is you know birth, and and I can see that being a good thing. I think. You know, when it comes from a social media and it comes from a, a business standpoint, um, I mean, I just think you know it's important to show things that are that um, that are positive. You know, I mean, obviously, with we already talked about some some stuff that can be negative. I think it's important to show the the upside and the positive things that happen out there too. And you know, I mean, we have all these cat videos and all these other things, right? That people put out there that I think you know we have these these you know these these people are putting out these uh, quotes. You know, obviously about you know things about life and living life and being better and that kind of stuff. You know, I don't know how that ties necessarily into a giraffe being born, but I, I do think that every once in a while it is nice to break up the monotony of, of life and the things that happen in life with um, a good giraffe being born video. I mean, I can't think of anything better. It was like waiting for it to happen, um, kind of like the eagle nest with the on the, yeah. the video camera on the eggs. I did see that one, yeah. Yeah, it was it – was, April, the giraffe, like super pregnant for the longest time, and people were taking bets on whether the giraffe was ever going to be born. Um, but it, it happened, and the internet rejoiced as it does. That's good. I wonder what the over under is on a giraffe being born. I haven't even thought about that, putting bets on it. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother round. Uh, in in uh, the digital marketing world, in marketing and technology, we touched at the beginning of this that. Um, influencer marketing is the big thing. Now within influencer marketing, we have two other big things that seem to be in the headlines almost daily. Uh, mentions of micro-influencers and mentions of artificial intelligence. So are they really the future of the industry? Are they just this week's buzz? Or um, is this something that everyone should be taking a look at? Yeah, I think with artificial intelligence, I, I, I do think that it is a future. I think we're only at the beginning stages of this. I think um, there's still a lot of things to be figured out with it because it's it's still one of those, I'm say out of the box, it's still one of those things I think that people go, okay, I, just, I think I understand what artificial intelligence is, but how are we going to use it in everyday life, right? How do we use it in, you know, when it comes to, I mean, I remember artificial intelligence being around a few years ago. And you know a lot of the stuff that you saw was really cool, but it really hadn't been. I didn't feel like it had been tightened up, or it hadn't been like at its full stage of where I think people can grasp it and really understand it. So I think it's you. You hear the terms, and you kind of hear a little bit more about it. And there's obviously a lot of funding from the VC side that's going into artificial intelligence, which I think is really cool. So I think in the next probably year or two, we'll start seeing some really really cool stuff. Um, and I think then, you know, people will, I mean, what, what they have to figure out is how are they going to implement with artificial intelligence and how do you bring that into people's current lives, right? How does that affect people, whether it be, you know, Snapchat and they have, or Snap has glasses. I mean, there's a lot of different things. Google have their glasses. I mean, how do we bring that into, to, to the reality of everybody's world and without really messing with people's minds, right? Cause it is kind of when you, when you do this stuff and you try these things, you go, 
wow, I don't know if that's really cool, but I don't know if I could on a daily basis if that's how the world is going to be. You know, we've seen it in movies for a long time. So you get that, but now you're like, okay, now this is like down to the fact where I'm going to wear these glasses and now I'm going to see something, you know, it's almost like an out-of-body experience. So I, I think that we're at the beginning stages of, of really understanding the human brain and how that's going to work and, and how people are going to really take to that and how it's going to work in everyday life. Now, micro-influencers, I mean, that's here, right? I mean, that's, you know, every, every day we have somebody joining, whether it be Snapchat or social or, or, you know, Instagram or YouTube or something like that. And they, you know, back in the day, it was a little nicely back in the day, say two or three years ago, you know, when people that started two or three years ago and now they've got an awesome following, um, I think now it's easy to say, hey, this is the way. And then there's, you know, there's money to be made and there's, you know, there's, there's really cool. You get a good following. You've got brands that will, you know, that want to, you know, come and work with you. Um, I think that's that's where that's my space once again as influencers and the micro influencers and and figuring out those right people to work with because um, it's such a growing audience you know if I'm you know we'll use Pepsi as an example if I'm Pepsi and you know I want to go after the LA market because I have the new you know LA Pepsi or whatever it is right some new Pepsi Zero you know point two or whatever it is then you know the idea is is hey we can go find those influencers in that area um, and give them some product and figure out what kind of agreement you want to put in place and see if you know, if the sales go up in that area. So it's kind of cool to be able to micro target, you know, we have billboards and stuff like that, which obviously is another way of, you know, for micro targeting or for, for geo targeting. Um, there's a number of them that you can go in there and take a look at the analytics and, and of influencers and say, okay, this is, you know, 60% male, 40% female, you know, 80% of them live in Los Angeles. They have this over time, you know, we're, I'm sure what we're going to probably do is use cross platforms where we'll do, you know, they drive an Audi, they like this kind of thing. They usually vote this way. They have this color hair. I mean, there's so many different ways to do that. You know, the newspapers have, um, a lot of stuff online have done that for a long time where they'll, they'll grab platforms and they'll, they'll look at the information and they'll come up with um, an avatar, right? Uh, on exactly what that perfect client is or what the, you know, the perfect person that you want to market to is. And then I think once that happens, we'll know, hey, listen, the influencer that once again, she drives an Audi, she does this, she does that, that would be a perfect fit for us in the market that we're trying to hit. Yeah, I think celebrity influencers should start looking for jobs. They're, they're going to, no, I'm totally kidding. No, I think they're going to be fine. I, I really do. I, I think they'll be okay. I mean, I would, you know, if you have three or four houses, you might want to cut down to maybe one or two houses and only have three cars instead of six. But um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, all joking aside, I don't think there's going to be an issue with that. I mean, the people that have the budgets, the you know the Cokes of the world, and the Pepsis and all that, they have those big budgets. So the prices usually don't scare them, right? So if you're looking for uh, an influencer, um, you know, once again, a celebrity influencer, you know, what you're looking at is overall, you're not really micro-targeting for the most part. What you're looking at, like you know, Kylie Jenner or something like that, you're going after you're going after a big bang for your buck, right? You're going after the, it's more of a branding thing. Like we want everybody to see this everywhere, so it's like top of mind. So I don't think those those type of influencers are ever going to have any issue when it comes to work. But what you are going to see is um, this one before it was either a you're an influencer and you get paid top dollar or you're nobody and nobody's listening to you. Now we have these the lower tier and the middle tier of these people, these influencers that are getting more and more followers and have a very engaged audience. Um, now these people are going to to be able to, you know, once again, get that exposure and be able to get brands out there. Um, and, and that'll be more cost effective for the either the mom and pops all the way up to the companies that once again don't have the millions and millions of dollars to spend on commercials and stuff like that. It'll give them even the playing field a little bit for them to be able to get the message out there. Gotcha, gotcha. So um, one final thing that just popped into my mind. I'd love to hear 
um, your pitch for influencer marketing. Say a client's coming up to you and says, I heard about influencer marketing. I'm not sure if it's right for me. Um, how would you convince them? Yeah, you know, the thing is, is it, it really depends on, um, on the product or service. So, you know, it's so funny. I, when I talk about influencer marketing, I don't, I don't pitch that it's for everybody. Um, it really depends on a, your budget depends on what you're going after. Um, one of the big things, uh, one of the misnomers of influencer marketing is, Hey, if I go and I go with an influencer and I get my contract together, get everything situated, I go and put one post up and then, you know, all the flood of sales are going to come in and then I'm, you know, I'm going to go to the Bahamas and drink my Corona and count my cash as all the money comes in. You know, one of the issues is, is that you have to, there's a, a frequency to it. You know, branding, they say, what is it? You're supposed to, you need to see something seven or eight times um, before you purchase it or before it becomes top of mind. Um, it's the same thing with influencer marketing. It becomes a frequency thing. So you don't, you know, you, you can't just do one campaign and, and, you know, and then expect for all of everything to come in. And it's also a strategy behind it. So, you know, I always just tell people like, tell me a little bit about your product. Tell me about your service. Um, tell me about who your avatar, who your perfect client is. Um, tell me where you think those, those clients are hanging out at when it comes to social media. And then what I do on my side is I do the research and, you know, be able to help pull those people in. Um, and then I usually present them with, you know, whatever, 10 or 15 influences. And we talk about the good and the bad and what we think about them. And after evaluating their content, and we have equations that we look at in regards to engagement rates and stuff like that to make sure, you know, it's going to be a good fit. But um, once again, I, I ask a lot of questions before I, I say influencer marketing is, is the only way for them to go because it's important. You know, I don't want to offer them just because I know a lot about it doesn't mean that it's, it's perfect for every client. So you got to make sure, you, you know, there's that fine balance of making sure it's going to work for them. Well, thank you so much for being on. Those were all the questions I had today. Um, is there anything you feel like uh, should be part of the conversation that I didn't ask? No, I think that's it, man. Once again, I really appreciate you guys taking the time and, and doing the interview, and uh, I'm looking forward to listening to this thing when it comes live. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we're here again with Shane Barker, digital strategist extraordinaire, uh, and you're listening to Shareworthy. Thanks so much. That's all the Shareworthy knowledge for now. Stay tuned for future episodes, and remember to always champion the creators. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.